As I think about the power of words, the power to bruise and the power to heal, to incite and divide, to calm and connect, to create an effect, words fashioned with influence and might make you hear, make you see, make you feel. Words are living, careful things. Whether spoken or written today or 3,000 years ago, they breathe today as they did before. They can start a great love, start a great war. Their echoes are endless. Words define the heart, ignite movements, and sometimes less is more. In this case, it's just 16 words. This past year, I've committed myself to focusing entirely in my personal studies on Jesus himself, on his life, on his leadership, on his teaching. And I have to tell you, it's, it's challenged me and changed me in significant ways. One in particular has to do with simplicity. Simplicity. Though Jesus' life and leadership and teaching was unbelievably profound, he expressed it in such simple terms. Anyone could engage it. Anyone could understand the words he used, though the truth became complex and life-changing. And the reason Jesus, I believe, expressed his life and his leadership and his teaching in such simple terms was because he wasn't out to impress people. He was out to change them. And there's a difference. For the past year, I've been seeking to increase the depth and the impact of my own life and leadership and teaching. While like Jesus, expressing it more simply. Because like Jesus, though I have flaws and I have propensities to want to elevate myself, I ultimately don't want to impress people. I want people's lives to be changed. It's the only thing that makes life worth living, that we've lived, and as a result of living, we've made a difference. Well, this series is a result of my quest to evolve into greater simplicity in life, in leadership, and in my teaching. Over the course of the next four weeks, I'm going to introduce you to 16 words. 16 words. These 16 words literally capture what God has called Northridge as a church family to be. These 16 words capture why we exist, what we're going to be about in this world, everything we're ultimately going to be doing in the future as a church family will be authored by and will flow out of these 16 words. You'll be able to understand what we're doing because of these 16 words. And here's the reality. All of us can remember 16 words. These 16 words are going to change us as a church family. But more importantly than the fact that these 16 words are going to express the mission and strategy of our church is the fact that these 16 words reveal what God 
has called each and every one of us to do and to be as Christ followers. After all, we're the church. In fact, an organization called church can express 16 words as mission and value and strategy, and they're just aspirational. They're just words. They're just dust in the wind unless the people who make up that church family are living out these words. We are the church. The only way a church like Northridge ever reflects a unified passion, a unified focus, a unified mission for impact is if each person who makes up that church family embraces them as their own. God has called us to live out these 16 words. It's simple but profound. It's life-changing. Here's the reality. As I look back over my 22 years as the pastor of this church, I tried to go quickly past 22 years so you didn't get stuck on that, but as I look back on my 22 years as the pastor of this church, as I look back on all of my leadership and all of my talks, and if your mind works like mine, you'll know that that's over 1,100 weekends of talks. It's a lot of talking. I believe all of it can be boiled down into and summed up by these 16 words. All of it, 22 years worth, summed up in 16 words. So I guess I should start off by officially apologizing for wasting so much of your time over the years. Um, <laughs> because if it could be said in 16 words, you know, wow, have I wasted a lot of them. This is how we can be a part of what God is doing. This is how we can fulfill what God has called us to do. This is how we can be a part of something bigger than ourselves. This is how we can finally scratch the itch for significance in our life. These 16 words, by being and doing what God has called us to do. As we begin this series, as we begin looking at the 16 words... We're going to focus on the first six. Wake the world up to Jesus. Six words out of 16. Wake the world up to Jesus. Here's the truth. God has called his people. God has called his church, which is a gathering of his people. God has called us as individuals, as a church family. God has called each of us to live out these six words, wake the world up to Jesus. This is the mission that God has given us. This is the will that God has for us. This is the calling on our lives. Look at Jesus' words in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 16. He said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the good news to all creation. What's the good news? Jesus is the good news. We are supposed to be going into our world, and we're supposed to be proclaiming and living out the good news. Jesus, simply, we're supposed to be waking up every created being, every created person, every God-designed, God-impurposed individual on this planet to Jesus, because in Jesus, they'll find life. And why is it so important? Look at verse 16. Jesus himself says it. This is why I want you to wake the world up to me, because whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Jesus says, the reason I want you to wake the world up to Jesus, 
is because life and death, heaven and hell, are in the balance. Everything stems from this. Now, if we're going to understand this mission that's going to author all of our ministry as a church, if we're going to understand the mission that God has called each and every one of us as Christ followers to, and if you who are searching here, you aren't yet a part of the family of God, you aren't yet committed to, you aren't sure yet about the whole idea of Jesus, this is what you will be called to if you accept a life of faith in Christ. If we're going to really understand what it means, I think we have to understand some of the words. So out of the six words, I believe we can understand this mission by looking at three primary words. Three primary words. The first, Jesus. Now we better start with Jesus because he's the only word we can't do without in this six-word statement. Jesus. And the reason Jesus is the only essential word is because without Jesus, we have nothing. Without him, we have absolutely nothing. Now, we need to get this in our heads. Without Jesus, we have nothing. We can have the right president, but without Jesus, we have nothing. We can have the right job, but without Jesus, we have nothing. We can have the right spouse, and without Jesus, we have nothing. Without Jesus, we have nothing. And yet, most people are without Jesus because God's people, God's church, are not waking the world up to the reality that Jesus is the only essential need that every human being has. You see, without Jesus, there's no such thing as truly experiencing life, and there's no such thing as truly experiencing fulfillment. And this answers the question, how come no matter what I get, no matter what I have, no matter what I accomplish, no matter what dreams come true, I'm still empty? It's because without Jesus, we have no life or fulfillment. Jesus said it in John 10.10, I've come so you can have life and have it to the full. But if you never let Jesus into your life, if you never let him come into your life, you'll never know life and fulfillment. Without Jesus, we have nothing. We're supposed to be waking the world up to Jesus. Because without Jesus, we have no light and no hope. You wonder why this world has such darkness? You wonder why your circles of influence have such darkness? You wonder why your own soul is so often filled with so much darkness? It's because without Jesus, there is no light. And look at John 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But if you don't know Jesus, if you don't wake up to Jesus, you have no light, you only have darkness. Without Jesus, we have no hope. Look at Ephesians 2.12. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, before you knew Jesus Christ, this was the definition of your life. You were without hope and without God in the world. If you don't have Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not alive to Jesus, you have no light, you have no hope, you have no ultimate genuine life, and you have no fullness. And without Jesus, there's no way to God. The source of life, the source of purpose, the source of love, the source of significance, without Jesus, there's no way to God. Jesus said it, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Without him, we have nothing. And the truth is, most people in this world, most people in your worlds, are without him. And this is why there are so few who are really living life. This is why there are so few who really know fullness. This is why there are so few who really know light, who really know hope, who really know God. 
This is why some of us don't. The truth is Jesus is the one thing that every single person in the world needs. Everyone you will ever meet, everyone you have ever met, everyone you've ever locked eyes with, they need Jesus. No exceptions. And yet most people just don't know it. And here's the reality. This is why Jesus came. This is why he came. So we could know life and fullness and light and hope and God. He said it, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He came to give us life. He came to give us hope. Look at Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. He came in this world so that we who are lost in darkness could be found and live in the light. This is why he came. We're here to wake the world up to Jesus because without him, they have nothing. Without him, we have nothing. This is why he came. Now, there's a second word in these first six words that's very operative, that's very primary, that we need to understand, and it's the word world. World. Now, for most of us, world is too big for us to embrace. It's, it's too abstract. And, and when, you, when you start thinking of something as big as the world, you, you start getting paralyzed and detached because you know you can't change the world. You just can't do it. And so you kind of just freeze. You kind of put it off in the abstract. And you go, yeah, the world's important, but I can't influence the world. But the truth is, though we are human beings and we do live in one big world with six billion other people, the reality is that each of us lives in many worlds. Each of us can define our world, the world that we live in, by our sphere of influence, that place where we do have influence, that place where our voice is heard, where our actions make a difference, our sphere of influence. The world, as it relates to what you and I can manage in a concrete way, is the world where we live, our sphere of influence, you know, our families, our circles of friendship, the places we work, our neighborhoods, the places we frequent, our worlds, you know, like the restaurants we go to. Those of you who are over 80, big boy. <laughs> and then the rest of us. I'm on my way. <laughs> the places we frequent, that's our world. Where we come into contact with real people, where our life can make a difference, where our attitude can make a difference, where our words can make a difference. Our sphere of influence, that's the world. It's not this big world we have no power over. It's the world of our influence. You know, the places where we frequent, like the grocery store or the gym or the golf course or whatever. And even our church, we have a sphere of influence. We have some relationships here where our voice matters. Our world. What are we supposed to do in these worlds we live in? Where our voice matter, Where our actions make a difference? What are we supposed to do in our worlds? We're supposed to Wake our world up to Jesus. The people in our spheres of influence, the people in our families, our friendships, our workplace, we're there to wake them up to Jesus. Look at what Jesus said in John 17, 18. As you sent me into the world, Father, I have sent them into the world. Why did Jesus come? To wake the world up to life and fullness and light and hope 
and God. And as God sent Jesus into the world, so Jesus sends us into the world. The reason you're in the family you're in, the reason you're in the friendship circles you're in, the reason you're in the workplace setting you're in, the reason you're in the community you're in, the reason you're in the places you frequent is so that you can wake them up to Jesus. Because without him, those people that you love, that you care about, that you know, have nothing. And you're the one that can share it with them. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16. You are the light of the world. If Jesus is in you, if you are alive to Jesus, you are the light of your world. You're supposed to be the light in your family circle, in your friendship circle, in your workplace circle, in the places you frequent. You're supposed to be the light. And Jesus says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And if it's not happening in the world, it's because it's not happening in our little worlds. Because if every one of our little worlds had us shining the light, waking people up to Jesus, the big world would change. But it's not. Because we're not bringing change into our many worlds. It's interesting to me how many of us work so very, very hard to wake people up to our particular brand of politics, but not to Jesus. Realize, though voting is important, we live in a country where we have been given the power to express our voice in who our next leader should be, and voting is important. And I believe we should use our voice and our influence to seek to honor God and seek to honor his truth and seek to express or cause to go forward his biblical values to the best they can given who we can pick. So it's important. But no matter who our next president is, without Jesus, there's still no hope. I am so tired of Christians saying, if this person wins or if this person wins, there's no hope. When the truth is, no matter who wins, if we have Jesus, there's hope. And if we don't have Jesus, there's no hope. It's Jesus that matters. But Christians are more into partisan politics than they are into Jesus. Let me tell you something about politics. In a couple of days, we'll have a, another president. Who knows? Same one, different one. But in four more years, it'll happen again. In four more years, it'll happen again. And every two years in between, the whole thing will be shaken up and everything will change. Politics is temporary. Jesus is forever. Let's start waking the world up to Jesus and we'll change it forever. I mean, that's what we need to do. Can't wait to get the letters on that one. <laughs> Wake the world up to Jesus because without him they have nothing with him they have everything what's the world your sphere of influence that place that you live that place that you are that place that you have a voice you can make a difference if you introduce them to Jesus now I think the third primary word we have to look at is the word wake wake The world is asleep. It needs to be awakened. The world is asleep, which means your world is asleep. It means if the world is asleep, it means your mini world, your family circle, your friendship circle, your workplace circle, the places that you frequent, they're asleep. 
And there's only one way for them to wake up, and it's if someone wakes them up. Now let me parse it out a little bit more. We need to wake the world up because the world is asleep. What world? The world of non-believers. The world that doesn't yet know Jesus. The world that doesn't yet trust Jesus. The world that doesn't yet believe in the reality of Jesus. We need to wake them up. All non-believers are walking dead. They're asleep in the darkness. They don't have the life of God in them. And if you're here searching, I'm so glad that you're here. Northridge exists for you so that we can take God's truth and live it out in the reality of our world today and speak it in the language that you can understand and embrace. But you need to know this. The search for Jesus is the most important search you'll ever be on because without Jesus, you have nothing. Without Jesus, you will never truly live. You'll breathe, you'll walk, but it's the walking dead. Look at how the Bible says it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. Every single person apart from Jesus is the walking dead, asleep in the darkness. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. All non-believers are walking dead. They're walking they're talking, but they're not living. Because without Jesus, there's no life or fullness. There's no light or hope. There's no knowing God. And without knowing God, you don't know the author of life. You don't know the breath of life. You need Jesus. And here's the reality. Non-believers are the majority in most of our worlds. In most of our worlds of family, non-believers are the majority. Some of us live in families, and it's a very unique and fortunate thing where the majority are Christ followers, but most of us have families where the majority are non-believers. Most of us are in circles of friendship where the majority are non-believers, and if you don't have any non-believers in your circle of friendships, you're messing up. You need to get a couple. Most of us in the workplace settings that we're in, where we work, the people we work with, the majority are non-believers. It's certainly true of me here at Northridge. And... Uh, I'm sure it's probably true where you're at too. The majority are non-believers. And do you know why God has put us in these worlds where the majority are non-believers? God has put us there because they need to know someone who knows Jesus. And he chose you. You're there to wake them up to Jesus. Are you? But realize it's not just the world of non-believers that are spiritually asleep. So far... Believers listening to this talk could very easily say, oh, wow, Brad's giving a talk about how we need to, you know, reach the world and reach those people who don't know Jesus. This is another one of those talks about other people and that, but it's not for me. When's he going to get deep? When's he going to give me something to challenge myself with? I'm going to tell you right now, if you've seen this talk as something that's only relevant to lost people so far, it's proof positive that this is a talk that is absolutely necessary for you because it's not just the world of non-believers that's asleep. It's the world of believers that are asleep. Many believers are asleep in the light. Absolutely asleep in the light. I mean, they seem to be awake. They seem to be functioning. They look awake. But they're sleepwalking. 
Now, don't take my word for it. Maybe you should listen to Jesus on this since he's the only one that knows the ultimate truth. Jesus showed up to talk to seven churches in the book of the Revelation and to tell them where they were going off. And look what he said to one of them in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. I know your deeds, Jesus says. You have a reputation of being alive. You look alive. You look awake. You look like you're living for me and reflecting me. You look like you're living in the light and living in hope. But you are dead. And he uses these two words. Wake up. Wake up. This is Jesus speaking to those who are his followers. This is Jesus speaking to his church. This is Jesus speaking to people like us. And he's saying, you look alive. You sing like you're alive. But you're dead. Wake up. And then he says, remember, therefore, what you've received and you heard. And obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what time I will come to you. Many believers are asleep in the light. And it's impossible for people who are asleep to wake up anyone else. So why aren't people being woken up to Jesus in your spheres of influence? Why aren't people being woken up to Jesus because of your influence in the family, your influence among friends, your influence in the workplace, your influence in the places you free? Why aren't they? Could it be that you are asleep in the light. Oh, you have a reputation of being alive. You'd say you're alive. You'd say you're awake. You'd, you'd point to all the things you do. You'd say, why would I be at Northridge Church if I was asleep? I don't know. Why would they be at this church when Jesus finally showed up and said, you're dead, wake up. I believe that the biggest obstacle to the church fulfilling the mission that God has given us to wake the world up to Jesus is not on the outside. Oh, you hear people saying, oh, it's just too hard to reach people in our culture. We've gone too far down. We're just too filled with darkness. You know, evil abounds. It's just too hard to reach our culture. The problem with waking the world up to Jesus has nothing to do with the problems we face on the outside. I believe the biggest problem to us fulfilling our mission is on the inside. Too many believers are asleep in the light. And the real problem here is that they're asleep but don't know it. Jesus had to tell these people they were dead. Jesus had to tell these people to wake up. They were sleepwalking and didn't know it. They looked awake, but they weren't awake, sleepwalking, and realize you, I mean, I hate to get personal, but it's important if we're going to be impacted. You can look awake. Others can think you're awake. You can have a reputation of being alive. People can think you're the greatest Jesus follower in the world. You can do all the things awake people do. And yet you can still be asleep in the light. And you know why it's sad? When you're asleep in the light, you're not experiencing life and fullness, light and hope and God. You're looking like it. You're just not experiencing it. And this answers so many questions about where I am in my journey so often. And this answers so many questions about why so many Christ followers don't experience the promises of God. It's because though they know them, they're asleep to them. They're not applying them. Now, as I started realizing that this is my problem, that I can be asleep in the light, I I started trying to scribble down ways that I could see it. How can I avoid being asleep without knowing it? How can I avoid being in this place where I'm, I'm asleep and need to wake up but don't realize it? And then how can I help you do it? So I literally have scrawled on, on 
page after page ideas, and I've gotten with groups of our team, our, of our staff, and done the same thing, and I've wrestled through this biblically, and I, I've come up with some ways. And the first is pretty easy. If no one is waking up to their need for Jesus in your sphere of influence, more than likely, you're asleep in the light. But let me give you some other things that you can process. And I really encourage you, do what I've done. I have introspected on these a lot. I have processed these a lot because I don't want to be feeling alive but really asleep. Do you? I don't want to be doing a bunch of things but it's sleepwalking instead of really living. So how do you know if you're asleep in the light? Well, you're probably asleep spiritually if you talk about Jesus and you claim him but you aren't experiencing him. You know, he's distant and unreal in your everyday life. He's someone you talk about more than you talk with. You're probably asleep. You're probably spiritually asleep if your relationship with Jesus, you know, your spiritual life, is more of a weekend thing than an everyday of the week thing. You're probably asleep if church defines your experience with Christ more than Jesus Christ defines your experience in life. If church is your spiritual experience, you're missing the boat. Church can be a motivation. Church can be an an emboldening, strengthening part of your spiritual experience. Only if it's causing you to experience Jesus more. Jesus, not church, is supposed to define our lives. And if church is your biggest spiritual experience, the only place you really experience God, then good chance you're asleep in the light. You're, You're asleep in the light if your spiritual life is more form living on the outside than substance experienced on the inside. I mean, now think about this, because a lot of us don't think we're asleep in the light. You may do and say all the right things. You may avoid all the wrong things. But Jesus isn't real or alive in you. It means you're asleep. Following Christ is something you do, but not necessarily something you are. It means you're asleep. You're asleep in the light if you haven't experienced much authentic change in your life recently. I mean where your life has truly been transforming from the inside out. Oh, you might be faithfully doing all the right things, but you're not changing. I need to tell you something. It's impossible to experience Jesus and remain unchanged. And yet, year after year, decade after decade, people say they're following Christ and their lives never change. They never become more loving. They never become more forgiving. They never become more generous. They never become more at peace with love. They never become, you know, more embracing of the value that God's put on them. They just never change. And yet, they're following Jesus? No. You see, you can talk about Jesus and sing about Jesus and proclaim Jesus and and vote, supposedly, like Jesus people are supposed to vote, and still not experience Jesus. You can talk about Jesus and remain unchanged. You can sing about Jesus and remain unchanged, but you can't truly experience Jesus and remain unchanged. So let me ask you, when was the last time you experienced life change? You might be asleep. You could be asleep in the light if you're more concerned about the role God is playing in your plans than the role you're supposed to be playing in God's plans. And I don't know about you, but this is my nature. Most of my prayer life is about getting God to show up in my plans. I must be asleep because 
Those who are awake to Jesus realize that their plans are worthless and his plans are eternal. And so they spend time with God trying to become the people they need to become to be more involved in building his kingdom, his plans, doing his will. You could be asleep in the light if you're seldom really considering the eternal condition of people in your world. I mean, you're just considering do they have the capacities to do their job or are they living up to my expectations of what a spouse or a kid should be or are they the kind of friends I want? And you're considering all the temporary issues but you're not really considering the eternal condition of the server at your restaurant, of the person you're golfing with. If you don't genuinely know the spiritual condition of the people in your world, it could be you're asleep in the light. I've met people who don't even know if their moms or dads are Christ followers. I've met people who know nothing about the people in their workplace. They work with day in and day out. They know nothing about their spiritual life. In fact, I've met believers who think it's a fine and celebrated art to be able to live in the world and not be known as a Christ follower. That's not a good thing. You're there to wake the world up to Jesus, not to hide the fact that you believe in Jesus. If you do it, you're asleep. You're living spiritually unnoticed. People don't know you're a Christ follower. It means you're asleep. If people don't notice anything different about your life from everyone else's life in the world, it means you must be asleep because you can't know Jesus and be the same as everyone else. If people don't pursue your advice when things aren't going well in their lives, it's because they don't think you have anything to offer them. You could be asleep because you have a lot to offer them if you have Jesus because with Jesus, you're supposed to have everything. If no one ever mistakes you as a Christ follower, it could be because you're asleep in the light. Let me ask you, are you? And the last one is kind of a catch-all. You could be asleep in the light. No, you are asleep in the light if you don't feel like you have a problem with being asleep in the light. If you're sitting here going, I don't have this problem, what the crap is he talking about? If you care more about the fact that I just said crap than I've been talking about being asleep in the light, you could be asleep in the light. Maybe I should have dropped a different word and gotten you all excited. Every day I battle with being asleep in the light. If I don't sense the urgency of my desperate need for Jesus today and I function in my own strength and my own ability, I'm asleep in the light. If you don't daily battle with this issue that you have to understand your desperate need for him and without him you might keep breathing but not really be living, you are asleep in the light because without him we can do nothing but with him. We can become everything he wants us to become. Are you asleep? I have two primary questions that I want to leave you with this weekend. Just two primary questions. And then we're going to experience a moment of worship at the end of the service that's going to help us to really move into this concept. In this series, 16 Words, I'm going to talk about the hows. I'm going to talk about how we can wake the world up to Jesus, how we can do it individually and personally, and how we can do it collectively, and how we can make a huge difference in our world if we live out these 16 words. But this weekend, I just have two questions I want you to wrestle with. The first question is this. Are you awake or asleep spiritually? 
I mean, that's all I really want you to consider. Are you awake or asleep spiritually? I know this is the important question because if you're awake spiritually, really experiencing Jesus, you can't help but be noticed by others. You can't help but be shaking up others. You can't help but be stirring the pot of others because they're going to want what you have. They're going to want happening in them what's happening in you. They're going to want that kind of life change on the inside of them. The problem is that too many of us think we're awake, but we're asleep. We're in hiding. Look what Jesus said through Paul in Romans 13, verse 11. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. He's talking to believers in this verse. Our salvation is nearer. Jesus' coming is nearer than when we first believed. Wake up. Wake up. Are you awake or asleep? If you're a believer, I bet you one of the illustrations I gave for examining whether we're asleep or not dug a little bit deeper into your soul than others. I deal with all of them. If we're going to experience what Jesus came for us to experience, we can't be coasting on the motion of yesterday's relationship with him. We need to be re-engaging and renewing the relationship every day or we're asleep in the light. Are you asleep or awake? Are you asleep or awake? I challenge you, I beg you, I urge you, believers, start looking at your life. But if you're here and you're a non-believer, you're someone that hasn't yet really transferred the faith and dependence of your life to Jesus, you need to know, though you're breathing, though you're walking, though you're experiencing things, it's the walking dead. Because you don't know life and fullness and light and hope and God, because without Jesus, you can't. You need to wake up to Jesus. And I'm just encouraging you, let this talk, this moment, be your alarm clock. And so before I ask the last question and we move into worship, I'm going to ask if you just bow with me in a word of prayer. And I encourage you, those of you at all of our Northridge sites, bow with me in a word of prayer. And church online, engage this individually and personally as well. Believers, talk to God about where you're sleeping, about where you're not engaging, about your world. But if you're here and you're ready to take the step of faith and open your life to Jesus, pray with me. Just in your heart say, God, I want you to wake me up. I need to experience life and fullness and light and hope. I need you. But I've sinned against you. I've messed up. I failed. But I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sin. It's why you came. And so I'm trusting you to forgive my sin and to give me hope. And Jesus, you rose again to give me new life. I'm trusting you to give me new life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me in one of our live gatherings, uh, we gave you this program that says 16 words on the front. Inside is what we call a connection card. It's just a way that we can communicate with one another. And I'm going to encourage you, if you just prayed with me, fill this thing out on the bottom. Check off or darken the circle that says you just prayed with me to receive Jesus. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to send you a letter about next steps that you can take in your relationship with God. Let us send the letter to you. Let us know there are boxes as you leave all of our gathering areas. Just throw it in there and we'll send you that. If you're watching church online, so glad you're a part of this. Just hit the what next button and we'll do the exact same thing for you. We want to help you 
move deeper into your relationship with God. But now I want to ask you the second question. And hopefully this will really, really work through your life this next week. It's based upon Acts chapter 1, verse 8. God says, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And when you receive his power, when you're really alive and awake and empowered by God, you will then be my witnesses in all of your worlds, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. He says, when you're awake spiritually, you will share me with the world. You'll tell my story to the world. You'll wake the world up where you are to Jesus, to hope, to light, to life. So here's the question. Are you waking the world up to Jesus? Maybe I should say it a little bit more personally. Are you waking your world up to Jesus? Are you waking up your work setting, your family setting, your friendship settings? Do you wake your world up to Jesus? Now, I really want to encourage you to to do something. This is a simple action step. This isn't the full answer, but in your programs, we gave you this card that says 16 words. It's a card that's meant to be handed to someone. This isn't the full answer. This isn't how we ultimately can do it. But this is one way that this week you can say, all right, if I'm in this world to wake someone up to Jesus, I can at least invite them this week so that they can hear about how they can be woken up to Jesus. And I really encourage you, invite people in. Engage this somehow. In the next three weeks, with the remaining ten words, we're going to talk about how we're going to wake the world up to Jesus, what it looks like. We're going to talk about how we're going to do it individually and personally in our lives and how we're going to do it collectively as a church. But here's, I want you to get excited about this because we get to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. By us being what we're supposed to be in our many worlds, we collectively, think about how many of us there are, we collectively can literally change the world if we're bringing change into our little worlds. We get to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We get to fill this world with hope. Think about it. When each of us wakes up our world to Jesus, we will change the world. I want to be a part of a movement that changes the world. And that's what Christianity is. That's what the church is. It's a movement to change the world. And it happens when we change our worlds, right? But first, we have to wake up because sleeping people don't wake up anyone. So let's let this song be the genesis of our coming back awake. Let's wake up and stop sleeping so the world will see his light.